0: You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at South Christ Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen, church, y'all go ahead and grab a seat. How are we doing? Good? Yeah, hey, turn in your Bible if you have it, I hope you do, to John chapter one, the book of John, the gospel of John chapter one. Hey, we are like staring down Christmas, are you ready? Mmm, yeah, yeah, okay, got some yeses, got some. The kids say yes, the adults say, I don't know, right? Like, still so got some things to do. Man, it's come in quickly. I hope you're excited. I know I am. Uh, don't forget Christmas Eve services here on uh, Friday night at 3, 4, 30, and 6. We'd so love to have you guys here. John chapter one, John chapter one. You know, it's, it's fun, it's interesting to think about that, that first Christmas night. And what an amazing night that would have been, right? I think even um, one of the best things about this time of year is at night and all the Christmas lights, there's just something peaceful about it. When you think about that first night, while we know, like, I don't want to make light of of childbirth and the difficulty that is, all the women will kill me after the service, so I'm not doing that. But when you think about that night, it had to be an amazing night in the sense of uh, the star. When you think about the fact that God was coming into the world, and, and there's something there's something peaceful, again, not about childbirth, but there's something peaceful about a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, right? Baby all swaddled up, even um, even watching, while these were not babies up on the stage by any uh, stretch of the imagination, there's something peaceful about Seeing kiddos, right? There's something kind of, that kind of soothes the soul, especially about a little baby, especially when the baby's sleeping, amen? <laughs> so we think about what an amazing, joyful, incredible night that was and, and how our minds, when we think about silent night or joyful, joyful, we, can, we kind of go there and soul soothing. For, for someone in particular, that first Christmas night was a nightmare come true. Like a, a terrifying nightmare. And that someone is that old foe of ours, Satan, the devil. That first Christmas was a nightmare for him. Well, that's, that's, that's not in the Bible. Gr- great point. Uh, I think that's evidenced by, in, in the gospel accounts, that Herod, when he found out about this king being born, this king of the Jews would be king of all, what did Herod do? Do you remember? He killed all the, the baby boys two years old and younger in the surrounding area around Bethlehem. I, isn't that so strange to be so terrified of a little bitty baby that you kill all these young boys? But we, we know that wasn't just Herod, King Herod at work. That, that was Satan because he was terrified of what this baby boy would bring. But why would that first Christmas why would that be a nightmare for Satan? Again, it's just, it's just a little baby. Like what's so imposing, what's so threatening about a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes? Well, Satan knew, It terrified him. We should know, and here's the reality. What terrifies Satan should bring joy to us, Amen. And I think if we can grasp what we're talking about this morning, I'm kind of giving a, maybe a, an interesting angle. I hope it's interesting, kind of a different angle. Um, I think if we can grasp what we're going to be seeing here in the text this morning, this goes from just, it'll help us go from just this kind of go through the motions, this Christmas, okay, yay, to realizing Christmas is really like a victory dance. That victory has been won, good over evil, light over darkness. And we have a lot to celebrate. Why? Was that first Christmas a nightmare come true for Satan? If you have your text open, John 1, read with me. We're going to read all the way through verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So pause for a moment, that's Christmas, right? That's Christmas, the light coming into the world. He was in the world, verse 10, he was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side, he has revealed him. Man, first thing we're gonna see this morning of why that first Christmas was a nightmare come true for Satan. Satan, number one, based on verse 18 is this. Jesus gives us the perfect picture of God. Jesus gives us the perfect picture of God. If you look at verse 18, it says, he has revealed him. So so no one's seen God, but then he follows up the very next statement with, but God, the son, Jesus Christ has revealed him to us. He's the perfect picture of God. Hebrews one says that Jesus is the exact representation of his nature. So when you look at Jesus, you are looking at who? God, yes. Colossians 1 says that God the Father was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. That's Colossians 1. So all the deity that there is is in Christ. So he's not a little less than God. He's not like kind of man, kind of God. No, 100% man, 100% God. Jesus is God. So when you look at Jesus, you can know what God is like. Isn't that incredible? Perfect picture of God. Why? Why would that terrify Satan? Why would that be a a nightmare come true for Satan? It's because Satan thrives in confusion. Whenever you're going through your life and you're like, man, I'm just confused right now. I just like, I can't think straight. Like, that's not from God. He thrives in confusion and disorienting you and kind of clouding your view of, of what God is like. And see, when you have this kind of cloudy view of God and you're really not sure, you're kind of doubting who God is, that causes you, if anything, to to look and find hope or value in yourself. It causes you to take your eyes off of God and to fix them on the things of this world or, or on yourself. So the fact that Jesus has come and given this perfect picture of God, that's Satan's worst nightmare. Because Satan thrives in confusion, but God longs to give us clarity. And in Christ, we have clarity. We don't have to wonder, how does, how does God relate towards sinners? How does God treat people who struggle? How does God, does God even care for those who are in need? When you look at Jesus, you, you have no doubt that God cares for the needy, for the broken, sinful people of this world, which by the way, is every single one of us, amen? Jesus brings us clarity. That terrifies Satan. He's the perfect picture of God. When I say perfect picture, I think, I was thinking this morning, but it was too late to change the slide. Um, That's kind of, the only struggle with perfect picture, while it's a true statement, is Jesus is more than a picture. He is God, right? But it still works in the sense that a perfect picture of something is not just a picture, because picture never does it justice, right? If you go on a vacation in the summer, if you're someone going to go skiing this winter, uh, and you come back and show someone a picture, it's it's just it's wanting, right? It never does it justice. So really, you can say a perfect picture is to actually go and experience it, right? I think about uh, telling if you tell someone about the beach who's never been to the beach, you could you could try to describe it, but to actually take them to the beach or bring the beach to them and for them to dig their toes in the sand, feel the ocean breeze coming against their skin, smell that salty air and hear the waves crashing. You're kind of there right now, right? I think it's supposed to feel like the beach on Saturday, which is a shame, but it's like 80 degrees on Christmas day. We'll let that go, sorry. But to actually experience it, makes it go from this kind of abstract, I don't know, to, man, I, I don't just see, I, I can feel it. It's a perfect picture, because I'm here. And see, that's what Jesus has done for us. Rather than just sending us some messages, he he came to us, and says, here's what God is like. Here's what he's like. So we no longer just like, I have this kind of blinded, dim view, but no, no, we, we see who God is in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Perfect picture. Well, well Brennan, yeah, but like Jesus is in the room with us. I can't see him. Well, yeah, that's, that's why we have the word, amen? In the word, we see Jesus, and the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Like, when you read the gospel, when you read the scriptures, you see Jesus. It's the perfect picture of God. But he, God knew we needed more than that. He knew we needed more than, than just a picture. He, he knew that we needed saving. Look at verse 10. It says, he was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Here's the second thing we've got to see today. Jesus gives us the right to be children of God. That's from verse 12. He gives us the right to be children of God. God. Isn't that amazing that Jesus brings us into the family of God? So I, I love the clarity of verse 12 because, again, God is God of clarity, not confusion. I love the clarity here. It tells us that apart from Christ, we have no right to be a child of God. Jesus gives us the right to be children of God. So apart from Christ, I am an enemy of God. I am hopeless, destitute, driven away I can't be near the presence of God. I'm an enemy of God. That's who I am apart from Christ. But then it says, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. So how can I have the right to be a child of God? By receiving Christ, by placing my faith and trust in the Finished work of Christ, that He lived the perfect life that I should have lived but can't, that He died the death that I deserve, and three days later, He rose again. When I receive Christ by faith, He gives me, He imputes to me, that means He he puts on me the right to be His child. Thank God for Jesus. (laughs) Apart from Him, I I have no hope of being a child of God. Uh, I'm hopeless. Why does Satan hate that? Why would he hate that Jesus gives us the right to be a child of God? Because Satan knows that he's on the way to hell eventually. Like he'll burn there forever. And he wants to take as many people as he can with him. So he hates Jesus. He hated that first Christmas. He hates the celebration of Christmas because he knows that Jesus came to give us the right to be children of God. The the picture is if when you think about the word right, he gives us the right. It's kind of a legal term. If you were in a courtroom, imagine that you're, you're on trial and Satan, the scripture says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So imagine that Satan is accusing you of all the things you've done wrong. And Here's what John 1, 12 teaches that Jesus gives us the right to be children of God is that as Satan is accusing you, Jesus steps into the scene. If you have received him by faith, he steps into the scene and says, uh, Satan, sit down, shut your mouth. I paid the price for this child of mine to be my child. Yeah, they're they're a, a dirty, broken sinner, but I paid the full price for their sin. It is finished. So Satan, there's nothing to accuse. You can only accuse me and you're certainly not gonna accuse me of anything. So Satan, sit down and shut your mouth. Their security as a child of mine is as sure as I am alive. They have every right to be my child. You, you, as a child of God, don't walk in shame, don't walk in condemnation. You walk as a born again child of God. That bugs the mess out of Satan, but should bring joy to our heart, amen? Children of God. And you know what else bugs Satan? It's not just that Jesus gives us the right to be children of God, it's also how, how Jesus cheats excuse me, treats us, not cheats us, treats us as children of God that drives Satan crazy. Keep on reading Uh, verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. What's the third thing we need to see of why that first Christmas was a nightmare come true for Satan is this, Jesus gives us grace upon grace. Grace. Grace is God giving you what you do not deserve, but because he's a gracious, forgiving, loving, merciful God, he gives it to you anyways. Not because you deserve it, then it wouldn't be grace. He gives it to you because he is a God of grace and mercy. It makes me think of John three seventeen that says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. We we're already condemned and going to hell on our own. No, he sent Jesus into the world to what? To save us, yeah, to save us. I love Romans 5.20. It says that where sin abounded, what? Grace abounded all the more. And if you're not familiar with Romans 5, you should totally read it. You can even stop listening now and just go read Romans 5. It's so good. But like everybody opens their Bible. <laughs> um, man, it's so good that uh, yeah, my sins, they stack up on one another over and over again. I can think of them going a mile high, but it'll never outrun the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Ephesians 1, I think it's uh, 1.8 says that in Christ, God has lavished His grace upon us. I've used this picture before, but it's like going to a water park. You know that big, the big, like in the kids area. Normally, not that I go there, my kids go there. Okay, uh, you know the big, massive bowl that eventually fills up with water and then dumps out on the kids. You know what I'm talking about? Like that's kind of the picture of God lavishing His grace on you, right? That you stand there. It's not just like a little water gun of grace. No, it covers you. It soaks you, you're drowned in his grace. Jesus gives us grace upon grace. Why, why does Satan hate that? Why is that a nightmare for Satan? Because Satan, his MO, his mode of operation, his, his love is to steal and kill and destroy Satan's desire is to to press you down with shame and condemnation for the things you've done. His his, his desire is to press you down with with hopelessness because of of your past, or maybe because of the present sins that you're struggling with. So why does Jesus terrify him? Because Jesus, through the the cross, gives us grace and grace upon grace, upon grace. See, Satan's desires to push down on you shame and regret and condemnation. And Jesus, you ever seen, don't you love at Christmas a kid with trying to hold all their gifts at the same time? You're not, not every Christmas do you get all this stuff, but it's fun every now and then when a the kid just like, they get lots of things for Christmas. And picture this kid with all these boxes, right? Stacked up above his head, he can't see. He's like, mom, i can't trying to get to my room. Where'd I go, Right? See, that's what Jesus does. He stacks up grace after grace after grace after grace. Maybe the first box is forgiveness. Oh man, are you glad for the grace of forgiveness? And He says, oh man, I don't wanna stop there. And then Jesus goes under the, under the tree, the cross, and he grabs, grabs another box and he says, hey, here's, here's mercy. I'm gonna stack that up for you because... Yeah, you, you deserve hell, but I'm gonna give you mercy instead. Then he reaches under the, the tree, the cross again, and he says, here's, here's peace with God. Yeah, you're, not, you're no longer an enemy. God, you're, you're a child of God. Then he goes back under the tree, and, and he reaches down and he grabs the gift of, of pleasure. He says, you've been trying to fill up on the things of this world. They'll, they'll never satisfy you, but there's nothing bigger or better or more satisfying than me. He says, let me put this, this, this gift of, of pleasure on top. And you say, Jesus, I, I can't see you. You're too good. And he says, I'm gonna keep going. And he goes back under the tree. And he grabs another box. And he says, I'm gonna give you the gift of hope. This dark, struggling world puts it on top. As a child of God, you receive grace upon grace. Upon grace. And that drives Satan crazy. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Hope. Gift of hope. Look back at at verse four. It says, in him talking about Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. I'm gonna read it again. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it fourth thing we've got to see of why that first nightmare or that first Christmas was a nightmare come true for Satan is this, number four, Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us hope. Do do, do you see that in verse four or verse, excuse me, verse five? That The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. As dark as the world is, as hopeless as the world is, Jesus, the light of the world, shines into our darkness, and the darkness has not, cannot, will not overcome the light of Jesus. He is the hope, the light of the world, and it's not like it's teetering. It's not like, oh man, uh, is light going to win? Is Jesus going to win? No, the darkness will not overcome it. I love what Jesus says in John sixteen thirty three. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. He doesn't say, be courageous, Brandon, you're so awesome. You're so strong. No, he says, no, Brandon, be courageous because I have overcome the world. The light has come into the world and the darkness has not, will not, cannot overcome it. I love what uh, John, the apostle who wrote this, who also wrote 1 John says, and First John 4, 4, he says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So as dark as this world may seem and be, let's be honest, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. All say may seem, lost and all may seem hopeless, but the darkness will not overcome the light of Jesus Christ. You know, this is, this is not like this is not like watching a, a basketball game or a football game. I know we're getting into bowl season and you're watching and if you haven't pre-recorded it and already seen the score, if you're watching it live and you're like, oh man, well, you know, we watch the game. You're like, what's gonna happen? Unless your team's up by like 40 or whatever. Right? Like often you're watching and you're, you're kind of on pins and needles and like, what's gonna happen? There's stress. Everybody gets like stressed watching sports, right? I'm like, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> but you're watching, you're unsure of the outcome. That is the complete opposite of the story of Jesus Christ. We don't don't live as believers. We should not, I should say, as believers, read the story of Jesus, and we should not think about the story of Jesus and what's to come and think, oh man, I hope Jesus, I hope he can pull it out. Man, it's close, sure seems like Satan is winning. No, the victory of Jesus is as sure and certain as the grave is empty, amen? We're not on pins and needles. We know victory is secure in Jesus. That's why Satan was scared to death. It was a nightmare come true on that first Christmas night because the light that would come and crush his head was coming into the world. And he knew he could not overcome it. So that's why he tried to snuff it out early when he killed all those little innocent boys in Bethlehem because Satan is a coward. And he's scared to death of Jesus Christ. That's why later in the Gospels, as Jesus is doing his ministry, when Jesus comes before these demons, they come and fall at his feet and they're terrified because they know Jesus has all power, all authority. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and darkness trembles at the name of Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus brings us hope. Maybe you say, yeah, but I hear you preach, but... You don't know my story man like my family's broken uh, you say, say my, my, my life is just a mess like I'm not thinking straight. say so Brandon like I, you, you don't know the sin in my life if you if you knew the thoughts that I go, had, went through my head you, you wouldn't even let me in the building Brandon how could there be hope? for me, but my story is, is too dark. The, the darkness kind of seems like it's encompassing me, surrounding me, there's no hope. That's you this morning, if you've, you've felt that. I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus would come and sit beside you and say, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I know about your pain and I'm sorry he would say, hey, but don't, don't, don't forget my story. He would say, you wanna, you wanna talk about a story that looked hopeless? I was, I was born in a manger. From the very day I was born, had people out trying to kill me. Satan himself, not just some demons, Satan himself came and tempted me for 40 days. I was betrayed by one of my best friends. I had an unfair trial. I was beaten, I was mocked, and eventually tortured, near, near whipped to death, and then nailed to a cross. I said, man, it, it, it looked dark. But three days later, he would say, I got up. Three days later, I rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and that old ancient foe, Satan himself his head has been crushed. She would say, there's no story too far gone for me is what he'd tell you. There's no story too hopeless for the hope of Jesus Christ. There's no story too enveloped and and, uh, trapped by darkness for the light of Jesus Christ. because His light can pierce through any dark story. And again, the darkness has not, will not, cannot overcome the light, and he would say, hey, brother, sister, I hear you, and I hurt with you. Remember I told you, you're gonna have suffering in this world, but hey, listen, be courageous, because I have conquered the world. You're my child, I got you. He would say, don't forget, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The baby in the manger spells certain defeat for Satan, but deliverance for us. The baby in the manger spells certain defeat for Satan, but deliverance for us. So now we we praise God for that. We rejoice in that. I love, I didn't bring with me, so now I'm gonna have to try to remember. There's a quote from Martin Luther. He was writing to a friend and he said, basically he was writing to his friend who was struggling with kind of just some, uh, I would call it demonic oppression of condemnation and shame and just feeling like couldn't get the enemy away from him. And he said, and Luther told his friend, he said, if he will not leave through scripture, so quoting scripture, if the enemy won't get away from, as you quote scripture, he said, Then remind him of his certain defeat because the enemy is a prideful creature and he cannot bear scorn. You know, when we worship, which we're about to do, when we worship and lift up the name of Jesus, Satan hates that, and don't you love that? (laughs) Because we remind Satan of his certain death and defeat and we rejoice in our victory in Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're gonna sing here in just a second. We're gonna sing really two songs, I believe. Um, There'll be a few people down front, but I want this to be a time to to worship, to praise the Lord. Uh, Maybe you wanna come down front and and just ask God to remind you of who he is and what he's given you as he came to this earth. There'll be some people down front. Maybe you wanna ask for some prayers, some encouragement, or talk with somebody about what it means to receive Christ by grace through faith, trusting Jesus' finished work on your behalf. Or maybe you just, again, you just want to sing and praise God for his victory over the enemy, his victory over this world. And then after that, we're going to celebrate again briefly with, with the Lord's Supper. So I want to pray for us as our worship team comes up. And then uh, we're just going to have a time to pray, praise and celebrate in the victory that Christ has given us the right to. Jesus, we are grateful for your victory. We're grateful for the hope that we have in you, that you are the light of the world. God, thank you for showing us who you are and perfect person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us the right to be your children, for giving us grace upon grace, even though we don't deserve it. And God, for giving us hope to know that you are the light of the world and the darkness will never overcome the light. Lord, in in this brief time of response, would you just help our hearts to soar in knowing who you are, God, to, to rejoice, in the person, the work of Jesus Christ. And God, would, would you just remind us of who you are? And Lord, for those that don't know you, would you draw them to yourself? They would see your goodness, your glory, your grace, and that you would save them this morning. And God, for those maybe struggling, walking in shame and condemnation, would you remind them that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? God, we love you. Would you help us just to maybe see this even as kind of a victory dance, a celebration of your work on our behalf. God, we love you. Pray you give us boldness to respond. Y'all would stand and sing with us and respond as God leads you. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.